0: Today's episode, we'll have an interview with one of our friends, Marcus Riginelli, who currently owns his own small business named Rigonelli Design. Welcome to The Build-Up, engineering stories explained. Hey everyone, as you heard from that intro, today's guest on Build-Up is Marcus Rigonelli, who currently owns his own small business, which he's going to explain more to us. And of course, today I have my co-host with me, Nitesh. How are you doing, Natesh? I'm doing well, Abi. How are you doing? I'm good. But more importantly, Marcus, how are you? Hey, good. Uh,
1: how are you guys doing? We're doing well. <laughs> Still pretty good. right? Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Of course. You want to give a little bit of a background to the viewers about who you are, what you do?
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, well, I went to McMaster for Mechanical Engineering and Management um, with you guys. After graduating, I basically, um, you know, went to work in Burlington, for a big, you know, um, aerospace engineering firm and didn't really like it. So I ended up quitting, you know, maybe four months in and uh, starting yeah, a little design firm. So I started doing automation design and some little machine design projects uh, and then ended up doing now in the last year, it's been more product design, product development. Yeah. So it's been about a year and a half and, you know, been able to grow, got a little office going a uh, bit of a team building. So, uh, yeah, it's been really good. And, uh, you know, I helped out with Designathon. I was the, the tech uh, guy, the senior tech.
0: <laughs> yep. Yep. For those of you that don't know what a Designathon is, that's actually an annual event that we run at multiple different universities, which you can check out on our Instagram page.
1: Yeah, it, it was awesome. I mean, I remember Shreyas, um, who sort of started everything out, had me on there to do 3D printing on the first one. And then by the second one, I was. You know, running a little, he had asked me to do the the tech side of things. So, um, so it's great, yeah. You know, running workshops and um, running designathons, and so now, yeah, I'm graduated and hopefully coming back for the upcoming designathon.
0: Yeah, and there's actually four consecutive weeks of designathons coming up.
1: Oh my gosh, that's fantastic.
0: So I guess a little bit more about your background. Were you always interested in like mechanical engineering or mechanical design or do you have other aspirations before you came to university?
1: Yeah. So I, I think um, I was always interested in it from like super early on and I didn't know what it was really called, but I was always, you know, building stuff. My dad's an electrician, so, you know, he had all this, the tools and stuff in the garage. He would, you know, show me how to build or whatever. And, and that was great. So I had a lot of, you know, opportunity to do that sort of, you know, work when I was little. And then growing up, I ended up wanting to be you know, a chef for a little bit, and then I wanted to be an architect, because I thought yeah, that was oh, really chef. cool. Yeah, yeah. I still like that, but uh, that's just a hobby now. But um, yeah, I wanted to be an architect for a bit, and one of my cousins ended up uh, becoming an architect. And so he actually ended up saying to me earlier on, I was building a go-kart or something, and he was like, what about you know mechanical engineering? And I was like, oh, cool, I don't know, you know. I don't know what that is, but I'll definitely look into it. And I literally, like, Googled it and went on the Wikipedia page for mechanical engineering. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm very into this. This is, this is right up my alley. And then from that point on, I was like, yeah, this is, that's what I'm doing. And that was in, you know, high school or even before high school. And then throughout high school, I did um, wood shop and tech courses. And then...
0: Did you guys have robotics at your high school? Because I know that's a big thing people get into.
1: So I'm from Niagara area, St. Catharines. And... The school was small. So it was like 500 kids or something. So we just had like a basic woodshop class. And we, we sort of like tried to incorporate some more tech stuff. And the, the teacher, I actually went to him and said, hey, look, there's like Google SketchUp, which was my first like 3D design uh, program or, you know, first time seeing that sort of thing. And I said, hey, look, you know, we're using 2D AutoCAD, but we could be doing 3D stuff. And he was like, oh, that's great. So I ended up sort of bringing that and even teaching a bit of that
0: so would you call yourself a leader in the mechanical space at your high school
1: (laughs) sort of um uh, people have said that i i taught that class and (laughs)
0: ladies and gentlemen he's definitely playing himself down
1: (laughs) it was a lot of fun i just you know i just did what i liked doing and i definitely liked it the most out of everyone in the class so uh, i'm sure everyone else was like oh this guy sucks
0: no, that that that's great to hear that you're always like passionate about building and really or deconstructing things.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely. But I, I know that, you know, towards Toronto and, you know, in the bigger schools you guys had some really cool classes. So I was
0: Yeah, we, we we luckily had robotics at our high school at the end, like my final year. So it was like super fun and we ended up going to like worlds and stuff. So it was like a super cool experience. So like but we know that before you started Riganelli automation you actually had a 3D printing business.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, once I got into into school at Mac, um, you know, I was loving it. You know, class are good. People are great. And, you know, got there with two of my buddies from high school who were also doing engineering. So I was, you know, having a great time. But, you know, class themselves are sort of end up a little boring. And so I was sort of bored, I guess. And it was like halfway through first year. When I got a 3D printer and I was playing around with it, I said, hey, we should, you know, print stuff for people because that was sort of the thing at the time. And um, so we started, me and my buddies, just printing stuff for people, had a little website, you know, and then did, like, the jankiest, like, drop-offs in in, uh, Musk or in in the student center. It was pretty, it was interesting. It just kept things, you know, gave me something to do. Uh, And then throughout the years, so, you know, all the way to fifth year, I ended up growing it and working with more uh, you know, businesses and incorporating into the, the design thons But it was great. You know, It taught me sort of how to operate a business and accounting and dealing with clients and doing a little bit of design work. And it, it was a really good experience. Definitely, you know, it didn't make a ton of money or anything. But it was nice to, to have a, a bit of money coming in. But it was a lot of fun.
2: Like you had your own 3D printing business. But what was it like seeing all those designs that your customers brought in? Like, that must have inspired you in some way to, like, improve your designs or something.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. It, yeah, it's it's great to see, like, what comes in. And it's great to see the difference between, like, what students bring in and what more production level parts are. And, you know, working with sumo bots and different robotics clubs and, and those types of things. Like, really cool, funky designs at different, you know, angles and just really out there stuff that you can only really do with 3D printing, which is was, which was really neat. And then more production level stuff, it's like, you know, how to get it as simple as possible to do, you know, what it needs to do and, and how to, you know, make it as cheap as possible so we can make as many as we need. So it, it's cool. So with 3D printing, you sort of get a range like that in terms of complexity and manufacturability. It was really interesting. I mean, we didn't get too far. I, you know, I dealt with some local companies and helped them redesign certain things to be stronger or cheaper or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, definitely engineers or engineering students are super creative and and once you have the tools to do design um you know you can do pretty much anything so and 3d printing is great because it's you don't have to think about it too much
0: all right it's just get on your computer if you can make it you can most likely print it
1: i think it's
2: pretty we can test that as well because we have three printers at ourselves at home
0: yeah they're just sitting there now because of covid
2: well for me i'm using them (laughs) i (laughs) I love my 3d printer or the two printers and I can say the same thing. Like I may not be the smartest designer when it comes to like going to 3D modeling right away, but when going on Thingiverse and looking at a lot of other designs that other people have, it really inspires me to see what I could potentially make. It's different than just making like a simple bus uh, basket or something like that. But then also all of a sudden you see like people making models of like spaceships or Tesla cars or motorbikes, and it's really really amazing to see that. Not only can you physically see or digitally see that on the 3d model you can actually 3d print it and once it comes out it's just it's beautiful to see
1: it is yeah it's really cool and it's great when you get to prototype you know new products and everything like that like that's where the value really uh lies for me but literally yesterday my keyboard one of the little you know legs had broken so for the longest time it was laying flat and i just thought oh yeah i can easily fix this and so I, yeah i went on thingiverse found you know exactly that part printed it and now it's fixed so i mean those things don't come up as often
0: right in like someone's personal life but i guess question for you on that though before we get deeper dive into your real business do you see 3d printing becoming something more common or like even within like the business side or like when
1: you're talking
0: about clients are you using 3d printing do you think that there's a bigger future for it
1: yeah definitely i mean the hype's always more than the reality, but. The reality is it's not going to do everything that people said it was going to do. Um, but, you know, just speaking generally, to, if you look at, you know, what they call like the S-curve or the, the technology curve, it's going to – it's still on its ramp up. And, you know, things are still being developed and new technologies and new innovations and, you know, patents expiring and all that. So, um, So it'll definitely be more useful, cheaper, faster. Uh, you know make stronger parts etc cetera, etc cetera. so it, it'll definitely be more widespread uh, but it's not going to replace you know things like casting stamping CNC machining like there's so many there's thousands of manufacturing methods so it, it can do what it can do and it's getting a lot better at that but it's you know it can't do what all these other things can do
0: so you'd say more for like prototyping like we use it
1: yeah exactly and it's been fantastic for prototyping we just printed some things for uh, a customer here some extrusions and you know it, it took a, a couple of days but what we had designed was you know is now on on its way to them without having to deal with tooling and all, all that sort of thing again so it, it's fantastic for that and you know until we start seeing replicator level 3d printers where it's like Star Trek type thing it's gonna sort of take time
2: actually I wanted to bring up a point from that. Typically, a lot of people think of 3D printing, they think of like plastic, like your your FDM 3D printers or your resin 3D printers. They're both plastic, right? Like it's, it's a typical 3D printer you have at home. But um, have you heard of the idea of like metal 3D printing and how that has evolved? Because I went to a conference in Mississauga, Ontario, a manufacturing conference, and their primary sponsor was a 3D printing company. They had a 3D printer a metal 3d printer where similar to a printer we have at home where the ink is injected on the paper by going back and forth. That's how they were melting the little metal resin on the surface back and forth. So they were increasing the speed at which they can 3d print. And they said it was compared to the original where a uh, metal 3d printer, where they took like one weld tip gun or the laser and went around like similar to how an FPM printer is right now. They said the printer style one was five times faster and they could produce uh, just as quickly. Now, I know...
0: Did you watch it run?
2: I saw it run. It was amazing. Oh wow! Now, I know for a fact still that metal stamping and sheet metal bending and even some CNCs or laser cutting, that, those will definitely be there because that's the quickest way to make very simple objects. But what about the ones that, for example, make the lightest car possible? You're in a Formula One race, and you need to make the lightest chassis. You can't expect me to say, or you can't expect to CNC machine that. That has to be metal 3D printing.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's, you know, exactly like I was saying. It's such a, like, it, it's still on the up and up. So new technologies like that are going to keep coming out. And it's 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 just going to keep getting better and better. You know, it definitely has to be metal. Everything at home right now is still plastic. Eventually, we might get stuff at home that can print metal. Uh, but certainly in, in industry, that, that's already happening. And like you said, faster and faster. So it's definitely... Really like flying, and it'll keep flying for a while. But even you know, when you look at let's say stamping or uh, roll forming or something like, if you're making parts on a manufacturing line, you can make even complicated parts one every second, let's say. And so they're literally just flying out of these machines, you know, depending on the setup and the methods and everything like that. So in, until the you know metal three D printers can print one a second, you know, or that level of on that sort of order of magnitude.
0: So maybe we'll see it more at slow, delicate manufacturing rather than high speed.
1: Yeah, because like Natasha said, it's still you know you can design the most efficient parts ever, and you know three D printing is sort of the only way to, to manufacture those. Or you know you could still do things like casting, you know different types of casting, which gets a little little tricky and depends on the you know on the volume and the the amount of parts you're making. But yeah, it, it's tough. But I think we'll see it getting better and better and better. And being really, really good for prototyping and sort of low volume stuff, one off parts, you know, in my business today, I still use it not too, too frequently, but I've still got my printer here and it's still, you know, super uh, valuable to have that and to be able to make plastic prototypes. So
0: I guess touching a little bit more on your business side of things, we'll come back to it. You said you worked for four months and then you started your own business, right? How did you make that decision? And did you always see yourself starting your own business one day and like what were the steps you took to really build the brand
1: it was sort of like inevitable for me inevitable yeah absolutely i i always wanted to run my own business and i always saw myself doing something for myself that part was sort of inevitable and what i wanted to do when i finished school was um you know go to a big engineering company and learn how to do it right you know learn how to do what they did in industry and in the best part of industry you know it was Really a higher end sort of like I said air, aerospace and and defense engineering so really really cool place and like what what we did there so it was at um, l three Westcam in, in Burlington like the coolest stuff like they make the the turret the ball turrets for drones and you know uh, not like weapon turrets, but camera turrets and so just awesome so I want to learn how to how to do all that stuff do it the right way so that eventually I could do something myself. I didn't know what it would be, but I wanted to learn coming out of school. So I I went, but I very quickly, I would say within the first week, I knew that I was not a fan. You know, I I didn't really like the work. And within a month or so, I was like, okay, I got to make a plan to do something else. Because the output was really interesting, but they had so many engineers that it's like what I did was like essentially nothing. And that, you know, so I was just doing little drawing changes or or whatever. And this is like nothing against uh, the company because it's a fantastic company. They treat their employees awesome. The work is good like overall and and the people are amazing but what I was doing was just so menial and you know that that would have been fine because obviously you just come out of school and you expect to do some sort of grunt work but I ended up you know working with a lot of uh, people who had been there for a while and they were sort of doing the same thing I was doing so I was thinking well you know if they're doing the same thing I'm doing then it doesn't look like I'll be doing anything interesting for a while (laughs) so you know I got to come up with uh, something so I, I would go home and design stuff. On my own, because I wasn't really designing any work. And, you know, in our our capstone that uh, in our final year, we had done a little CNC lathe, which Nitesh was in that group. So we, we killed it on that. That was yes. amazing.
0: The the tabletop lathe. Oh, my God. The amount of times I heard that.
2: Oh, Ed Marcus, I'll tell you right now, I was like the marketing genius or guru behind that. I would not stop talking about it. Every time I met someone or anytime I was like, hey, yeah. Have you
0: heard about our you, lathe?
2: Have you heard about our lathe? <laughs> And you know what? I was very proud of that, okay? The amount of hours we put into that machine
1: shop and,
0: and you guys got it to the dean somehow and he came to your table saying, I need to see he this because I can't stop hearing about
1: yeah, it. He retweeted us. Yeah, and it Nitesh sold that thing, man. Like we were ready to go. So so when you know, when we had done that, and it was rough because, you know, we did it so quickly, but when we were done and graduated, and then I was working, I thought, well, I need something to do, but you know, we've got the CNC lathe here. I can redesign it, we can sell it. His Nitesh was selling it to everybody and everyone was like, yeah, I'll buy one. <laughs> no, we didn't have it. So I thought, well, you know, maybe that's a a good product. Um, so I started redesigning it, it took a couple months, and really happy with the result. Still am and, and it's re- ready to be prototyped again. Um, but I was literally going home from work, working on that, spending money on that, getting parts from, you know, getting sheet metal parts, getting machine parts, you know, prototyping that. So spending like a bunch of money and a bunch of time on it. So anyway, in the end, I was just burnt out, you know, wasn't doing anything interesting at work. And I thought, OK, the late thing is cool, but obviously you don't really want to launch a product as a job. You know, you you got to it takes a lot of money to launch a product, which I, I know very well now. But uh, so I thought, well, I got to do something else. But there was a company in St. Catharines here, construction company, and the, the owner always wanted to hire me. And it was the the grandfather, one of my good friends here. So he had some projects he wanted to work on. And I said, well, I'll work on them on a a contract basis. And he said, sure. So I drew up a contract. I said, this is, you know, Mark Cirgonelli Design Services Company. And we're going to design this uh, piece of equipment that you guys want for breaking up concrete. Sort of a crazy contraption level idea uh, at the beginning. But anyway, so they said, sure. Uh, I gave him a contract. They paid me a retainer. And I quit my job, and almost immediately, they stopped the project. So, you know, not really their fault, because we hadn't planned it out fully, and, you know, I, I was still figuring out the whole contract work thing. But, yeah, within, you know, a month for, after first meetings, and then they said, okay, cool, let's bring some engineers on and some of their engineers and, you know, talk about how to make this thing. Well, their engineers didn't have time for it. It was obviously not a priority they were all very busy. So it just sort of fizzled out and, and that, you know, that happens. But so then I was, yeah, sort of out of a job and out of the job that I thought I was going to have. So yeah, then I sort of panicked for a bit and, you know, then I just started really hustling and, and grinding and trying to get clients and trying to, you know, get some work going. So.
2: But it all like paid off because like, I like after every sad, you know, or really difficult beginning, it has to be a prosperous end, right?
1: Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And I'm only you know a year away from that, but I would say that it's been pretty great in that time. So it it, it was like I said, it was a tough start. Um, but I, you know, even at the time, I wasn't too too stressed. I, I was actually enjoying myself and you know being off of work and having a go at it on, on on my own, which is always what I sort of wanted to do, anyways. So it was it was definitely freeing. We were I was renting a house in Burlington at the time with a couple of my uh, buddies who'd also just graduated so it was you know it was a fun time and I, I didn't worry too much about it I ended up doing work on uh, upwork which is which people may know is a site for freelancers and that was kind of cool I got my first sort of paid you know work on there and and kept going through and and doing work uh, for just the little businesses around the area or sometimes internationally but that I mean up it's just it's so tough to, to make money on there, really. And I knew that. So as soon as I got into it, it was clear that that's not the way to run a business. And I knew that I was just sort of making ends meet. So I, you know, on the side was, again, hustling to get local clients, you know, build a brand, build a business and do it the right way, do it my own, uh, my own way. Uh, And so actually in those early uh, stages as well, I ended up messaging a guy called John Grimsmo, who runs Grimsmo Knives from Stony Creek and they run a really uh really great youtube channel they they talk about the way that they make these super beautiful expensive knives um and they put a ton of care into it i had talked to him in university he invited me out to his shop so i had sort of known him uh, from that super nice guy and you know emailed him as i emailed all my contacts at the time and said hey starting a little firm and is what i'm doing if you need anything let me know and he said well Actually, yeah, there's something I've been thinking of, and so it's this little, you know, part carousel. You know, I need it to catch parts out of my little uh, Swiss lathe, and it's going to categorize them. And rather than just having a bucket hang off it, so anyway, so it was a cool little project. Worked on that. He made a nice video about it, and that was my first sort of automation, or, or at least paid automation experience. So, and, and that's when I started Rig Automation. That project was was really great, and I saw a lot of opportunity helping small machine shops like that. And I, you know, I tried to do that. I was making products for Machine shops, little automation things that you could buy and plug into your machines, they would, you know, either be warnings or the one was an upgraded version of that carousel, which there's, there were a bunch on the market, but this was sort of a smaller one. But I, again, I found out through doing it that there's not a big market for it because there are already things you can buy off the shelf and these machine shops are, at the size I was targeting, are more than willing to just put together whatever they need. And and they're smart enough to to do that, obviously, you know, to design it themselves and to, and to build it. So, and then the other thing is that there's not a lot of value in design when you're providing automation equipment. So it's, you know, then you have to buy materials and buy parts and make the thing. And then you make a margin on the the equipment itself, which is less than the design. So anyways, that didn't really go anywhere. But as I was promoting that, I ended up getting more product design related work. And so After months and months of that, I thought, well, this is the way to go. I don't have to build anything. I don't have to sell product. Uh, I just have to sell the design and sell the service that I'm providing. And it has to be an excellent design. It has to do everything right. And it has to be well thought out. But it's still definitely the right move for me to be able to do that with a low overhead from an office rather than getting some sort of manufacturing facility and getting some CNC machines, all that.
0: So how exactly does that process work? I would come to you saying, I need something that does this. And then you kind of just design it. Or like, what is your thought process? What is your design process in that?
1: Sure. So, well, the, the product design process is, it takes so long and, it, and it, it takes a long time and it takes a lot of money. And it's more than most people would guess. There's a really great book that I've got here beside me that I've, you know, had as a, a, as a reference called Product Design and Development by Ulrich and Eppinger. And it's just, it's really comprehensive about the whole process. And I've based my company's procedures and the way that we do things on the outline and and the the way that they do things in that book. So essentially, yeah, we get clients that come in and say, usually they already have a product or similar products and they want to either redesign or create a new but, but similar product. So rarely is something done from scratch. So, yeah, it's a case of, you know, here's what we got and here's what we want to do. And, you know, we want to have these extra features in it. And then we would sit down and depending on the size of the project, go through a a really comprehensive plan. And in this book and in our work, there's six phases starting with planning. So we would, you know, go through and come up with a a really comprehensive plan for the product and say, what does it need to do? What are the specifications that it needs to meet? And then even talk to customers and see what they want because that's the most important thing and a lot of people sort of jump into it and I you know I was guilty of this at the beginning as well just jump in and start you know doing CAD work but there's so much to do before that it's helpful to follow that guide Um, yeah so it's you know there's so much to do before you get to the point of jumping into CAD that it, it becomes a real process just to just to get there so we would actually charge for for you know planning as a phase and then concept development, where we go in and do sketches and evaluate different technologies and combine ideas and see what, you know, would be feasible to do, you know, sketches, preliminary calculations, and all that sort of thing. And actually, you know, in those first two phases, you, you decide, what are we actually building? Because a lot of the time people come in and they think that they want to build this. And that. So I, you know, I'm, I'm with them all the way. And then, you know, a little way through, we, we discover, actually, what we want is something more like this. So it's really important to go through those planning phases. And then after that, you know, you get into system level design where you talk about different components of the design. Again, not really thinking about specifics and sizes and all that, but, you know, maybe a rough layout and major technologies and how, what, you know, interactions are going to occur between these different blocks of the product. And then after that, detailed design, manufacturability, making sure it's designed for the environment it's going to be used in. And robust and and everything like that and then lots of testing and prototyping and refining and uh, that you know that's really the the nitty-gritty of it is all the you know design test iterate design it again and keep going and going and going
0: what is your least favorite part about that process
1: so i guess the the least exciting part might be the planning Uh, the very earliest stages when we're saying what are we actually doing right and then but even that part you know once you start brainstorming and throwing ideas out. And with a good client, you know, who's, who's really invested in that process, it's a lot of fun. So I don't really uh, dislike any part of it. So you're
0: all in, you just love I love it. everything about it.
1: I love the whole thing. Even when, when we're done the design, we prototype, we know that it's going to work. And then we go into sort of the last phase, which is production. And even before production, there's still, you know, obviously, we got to make drawings, we got to make even things like user manuals and think about warranties and think about like there's so many so many things to think about and then into manufacturing where you get you're dealing with manufacturers and last minute tweaks and okay let's do this and that it makes it a bit easier to to make here or you know adapt it for the equipment that they have i mean dealing with suppliers manufacturers isn't always you know the the most exciting thing oh it's not oh we
0: we learned from working in manufacturing let me tell you
1: (laughs) yeah you, you guys know yeah they got their own priorities but even that phase is great because then the part actually gets manufactured and you see it coming off. It's so cool to see it actually come together and then being used and, and purchased to think, you know, wow, somebody likes that so much that they spent money on it. Like that, that's, that's, that's really cool too. Um, and I know that's a great feeling for, for our clients and, and for me, uh, you know, I take a lot of pride in that.
2: I can personally attest that as a mechanical designer myself, I may not be like you, Marcus, like you know, have my own company, but I work the company I do work for because it's smaller in size, I do get to do a lot more design work, talk to clients myself, talk to suppliers myself, and sort of do like the full engineering process, not just make like sheet metal design, like go into the actual bearing selection and casting designs and figuring out what type of motor to use and everything. And it's, it's a really, really fun process.
1: It's so cool. So I don't know, did you mention that, you know, you're at, you're at Negan, so you're doing mechanical design there. So they they get you doing all that sort of stuff, which is amazing, because it's, Like I said, some places just get you into one super specific thing.
2: Yeah, that's like, I think one of the biggest perks working for a smaller company, you really, really harness or they really, really harness your mechanical skills, which is something I never had, or I never thought I had in university until I started working there because they really allow you to make mistakes, especially throughout the whole thing. Like, you know, for example, like you're saying in the planning section, like if you don't pick the right bearings and motors, they're okay. They're there to explain to you, like, how do you pick them? Uh, what to do? How do you talk to suppliers, the calculators, etc.? When you go into the model design, like how do you make the proper three D models for different types of manufacturing, and then you go into drawings and assembly drawings, and even the manufacturing, like even though we man- we don't manufacture in house, we get it outsourced, bringing it inside or bring it to our facility, building it, and if any tweaks or anything that need to be made, being able to deal with those, and then seeing it all come together, like the project that I've been working on for almost a year now actually just completed and it's going to be shipped out to a customer i was so happy to see it running and all the components that i was working on running and all i could think about was like where i began and where i am now and how the all the mechanical skills you know that i've developed how that all turned out to be
1: it all comes together yeah it, it's super satisfying uh, to do that and so i would say to work at a small company you know everyone should should do that once, even for a co-op. Like I worked for two co-op at a little machine shop here in St. Catherine, and it was awesome. Like I I learned so much there. There was a really talented mechanical designer uh, who taught me everything, like on the job, great experience. And there's definitely perks to working at a really big place too.
2: Small is the way to go.
1: I (laughs) I think so. I think so. I mean, now I'm super small. So, you know, I'm definitely a big proponent of that. And, you, you know, you can get really personal with it you can you have to take more responsibility for it, of course. But if you do it right, it's super satisfying.
2: So you mentioned a lot about like your mechanical skills being improved and everything. And I mentioned it as well. And if you can like give some quick like tips for our listeners, just quick ones regarding like what skills they should improve in order to be more successful in the mechanical space. What would it be? Like some quick tips?
1: Sure. So um the biggest thing for me, especially even in university, but especially now that I'm working, is to really know your tools. So In my case, I use Inventor. I've always been a big Autodesk Inventor fan. Um, You know, SolidWorks, obviously, very comparable. It doesn't really matter what you use, but just really know how to use it, you know, so that whenever you approach a new problem, you don't have to waste time figuring out how to sort of express that on the screen, you know, how to model it or how to use the tool itself. So so that's a great um, goal to set in university and in, in school is really learn your tools. Another thing I would say that's been really helpful to me is textbooks, which in school are just boring and, like, things you have to spend money on. But now that I'm graduated, I think I spend more money on textbooks than I ever have. In one sense, it it looks great, (laughs) you know, to have a big bookshelf. But really, I, I mean, they're super useful. And I didn't ever consider that textbooks could be for something other than school. So they make textbooks for professionals, which is sort of blew my mind. So literally, like, all of the important equations... And everything that's relevant to actually solving a problem is condensed into these textbooks that are designed for it. Now we do everything from, you know, plastic injection molded design to extrusion design to weldments and machine design to consumer products and industrial products. You know, I can't know everything and I can't have a team of 100 people who know everything. So it's been great to have, you know, a good, good bunch of resources here to, to pull from to be able to solve problems with me.
2: Marcus, it was amazing to have you on this podcast. Honestly, thank you for being our first guest. And before we send you out,
0: we got rapid questions. It's just going to be completely random. I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to your head. Don't even think about it. It's just ask quick. All right, ready?
1: Okay. I'm going to overthink it, but go ahead. Don't
0: overthink this. It's just normal people questions. All right, favorite color? Oh, green. Favorite food? um Steak. Coffee or tea? Tea. Frozen yogurt or ice cream? Ice cream. Watch a movie or workout?
1: Uh, definitely watch a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite season? Uh, summer. iPhone or Android? I got an iPhone.
0: Spicy or mild? Spicy. Dine-in or takeout?
1: Recently takeout, so I gotta go with that. <laughs> Early mornings or late nights? Uh, big late-night guy. I wish I weren't, but... Yeah, uh, I think we all are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all
0: right, Marcus, can you tell us where everyone can reach you?
1: Sure. Um, so my company is now called Reganelli Design and the website's rignelli.ca. It's R-I-G-A-N-E-L-L-I.ca. If you call or email through there, I'm the guy who's going to pick up, so feel free to do that. Uh, or on LinkedIn, yeah, wherever. I, I'm not a huge social media guy, but website and LinkedIn would probably be the best way.
0: Perfect. We'll have all of Marcus's links in the description and the video that he was alluding to earlier. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our first ever Build Up podcast, and thank you for being here, Marcus.
1: Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. I'll see you soon. Have a good one.
0: Catch you guys later.